So yeah, like uh, I sent you some uh, questions, Dan, and uh, I'm sure you had a look. Uh, and I'd love to just chat about them, see what you think uh, about what's happening in the CX space now, about how you define uh, customer centricity and how how you think about like companies building customer centric cultures, etc. And uh, how do you see like uh, customer experience as a field evolving uh, along the years? Uh, this is where our conversation will mostly focus on and any insights, any new questions that appear through this conversation, it will be nice to go through them. But yeah, that's the focus. Uh, so if we can start, uh, just like walk us through like what, what customer centricity means to you. Customer centricity to me means making every business decision with the customer in mind. It's got to be one of those filters that you look through before you make a business decision. Because too often we make business decisions that look good on the financial statement, but don't take the customer into consideration. And so we, we accentuate the positive financial element and we miss the fact that, we're, that by hurting the customer, we're hurting our, our uh, balance sheet in some other way. So I always say that you know in every business meeting, there should be somebody with the customer hat on somebody that is representing it's almost like a customer is you know the, the the customer is a member of the board of directors you know that that there's always their view is represented and most of the time you can come up with a good business decision that's also good for the customer or other way around a, a great customer decision that's also good for the business mm -hmm. it's when you're only looking at one or the other that you can often get into trouble so you talked about culture and i think that that the best companies have a have a culture where customer centricity is pervasive. It's in every part of the business, and everybody feels like whether they are customer uh, facing or not, mm. they feel like they have an impact on the CX. So even yeah. if you're in a finance department, you know your team might be sending out invoices. And mm. the communication on those invoices and are they easy to understand and are they friendly? And I mean, that's all customer experience, but you may not think of it that way. Yeah. Um, or uh, they, the finance department might have certain systems in place in terms of uh, payment methods or other things that affect the end customer, even if they're not talking directly to the customer. So to really be a customer centric company, you have to have pretty much every employee feeling like their job either directly or indirectly impacts the customer and then think through as we make decisions about new products, new services, changes to our policies and procedures, how is that going to affect the customer? And then what's the customer gonna do when they're affected? Sure, no, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's, uh, it's part philosophy and part systems, right? You literally have to have the right systems that incentivize people to think in that specific way and that govern the organization and the decision making that way. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of building and maintaining uh, that culture, right? Two different elements to to this problem. How do you think about how do you think companies should build, or what are the problems that you see companies when building a customer centric culture? And the same thing for maintenance. Like, how do you actually maintain it through like a business cycle, through periods like uh, of difficulty through changes in organization and through expansion, et cetera? 
Well, I think I'm going to answer the second question first. I think in terms of the maintaining, my belief is that focusing on the customer needs to be a permanent thing that a company does, right? It's not a project. It's not uh, something that we do temporarily. Because after all, if we don't have customers, we don't have a business. We don't get paid. So customers should be our everything. Uh, and I think a lot of companies take customers for granted. And, and what's happened in the past certainly decade is that customers have become more empowered to say, hey, if you're going to take me for granted, I'm going to go to a company that won't do that. And I'm going to go to your competitor. And most of the time, they leave without even telling us. And this is what I refer to as the leaky bucket, which is that while we're so focused on bringing in new sales and new logos and new customers, we got a lot of customers that are walking out the back door that we're not even paying attention to. And that's killing our, our business. So the maintenance is actually, I think, a lot easier because once you have it built, it becomes part of that culture and it just becomes part of how people think. I think the struggle with building it is twofold. And one is at the beginning and one is at the end. The beginning part is, and I know this sounds cliche, but it's so true, is you have to have executive buy-in. If the executives don't believe in it, it isn't going to work across the company. And you know why would executives not believe in customer experience? Well, because of the second problem, which is on the other end, which is how do we show that there's an ROI to customer experience? How do we bring it back to the bottom line? And if executives don't see that bottom line impact, they're not gonna buy in. So we have to convince them up front that this is important. Um, like a lot of other things, CX has a lot of metrics, a lot of things you can measure, a lot of things you can report on. But the problem is that when you talk to an executive and they say, okay, I understand, this is our uh, NPS store, or score, our, our net promoter score, it got better. Okay, so show me the money, right? Like, like, why do I care? And so I think we have to focus on the metrics that, that executives are going to care about. For example, customer churn rate. How many customers are walking out the door? How, how leaky is our bucket, right? Yep. Because if we can plug that leaky bucket, then we make a big impact on revenue and profit. The other thing that I love to teach is that when you create remarkable customer experiences, your customers then want to tell other people about you. They tell friends, family members, social media followers. So now they become referral sources and actually become part of your marketing team, which brings you in new sales. Executives understand sales, right? That's a metric that they track and that, that is important to them. So I tend to shy away. Yes, satisfaction scores and things are interesting and important because they'll tell you they're an indicator of some of these other business metrics but we have to focus on the business metrics in order to convince the executives and then the executives basically need to tell the rest of the organization this is everybody's job it's not you know even if you have a cx team customer experience is everybody's job because we all have to be aware of what we're doing and how it affects the customer mm -hmm. oh very cool very cool i completely agree uh, it's very hard like for professionals and executives to decide on all these metrics. Uh, I, I completely agree, like the approach of, yeah, let's see what actually matters to them, right? Which is top line growth, which is bottom line profit, everything. How do we, how do we connect the customer centric experience to financial statements, to uh, their financial bottom line? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was talking with somebody <clears throat> this morning 
and I was comparing this situation to social media a couple of years ago. So I was a marketer for 20 years and I uh, was in almost every marketing channel there is other than television. And every marketing channel has a way to measure success. And then social media came around and a lot of it was run by a lot of millennials to start. And the whole message was, well, we don't know how to measure social media. And so we shouldn't have to measure it. You should just believe that it's important. And I thought that what a load of, you know what? I mean, it's a marketing channel. We can measure it. We can measure it like any other channel. And things like followers and likes, that's not, those aren't financial metrics. That doesn't mean anything to me. Oh, yeah. people clicked on our, on our ad and bought something? Okay, now I understand what you're talking about. That's sales. And we can track that. And so it's, to me, CX is, is like social media in that sense. It's that, you know, social media have this, uh, you know, a number of years where it was growing and it was sort of the hot topic. And I think customer experience has become the hot topic. But a lot of times executives look at, look at it like they looked at social media as this sort of soft thing that we have to do. That's not, if you think of like social media and marketing and customer experience, those are soft finance and sales and revenue, those are hard. And yeah. executives tend to think about the, the hard data stuff more often than the soft. And that's why we have to connect it back. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Couldn't agree more, couldn't put better. Um, 100%, and that, no, that, that leads to great, to another good follow-up question, which is like, uh, looking macro, what type of problems do you see uh, apart from this idea of actually in incentivizing the executive team correctly to look at the right metrics, to look at business problem solving the right way, which is with the customer, uh, what other problems do you see for companies and executives and everything and everyone to be customer centric? Like, is it a people problem? Is it uh, a macro exogenous type of problem or how do you see it? Well, it's cool that you use the word macro because I do think <clears throat> that is the problem. It's a, it's a process problem. And the issue is that most companies, especially the, as they get, get bigger, become siloed. And mm -hmm. in those silos, you have people that are focused very hard on creating great experiences, but they're creating a great experience in just a sliver of the customer journey. Yep. And they only know their sliver. And so they make their sliver great. But unfortunately, what they're not paying attention to is that before the customer arrived in their sliver, they were in a different part of the journey. And after they're done in their sliver, they go to a different part of the journey. And where companies tend to mess up is with inconsistency or bad handoffs. So when the customer is moving along the journey, they want it to be smooth and simple and consistent. But if you, have, if you have 10 different groups creating 10 different experiences in 10 different parts of the journey, to yeah. the customer, it's going to end up choppy and difficult and inconsistent. And so what you need is that macro view where somebody is looking at the entire journey and how it all goes together and each one of the important transition points. I'll give you a great example because you're in the B2B space. So in B2B, one of the biggest um, opportunities is smoothing out the transition between the sales team and the account team, whether you call it customer success or account management or whatever it is. Because think about it, people buy from people that they like. And that's why salespeople are good at sales because that generally they're likable and they're persuasive, et cetera. So I meet this guy 
John and I really like him and I'm going to buy from John. And then as soon as I say, okay, and sign the contract, John says, well, let me introduce you to Sally. And yeah. I'm like, well, hold on a second. I, I bought from you, John, and I don't know Sally. Who's Sally? But that's what we do to customers every day is we, it, because John's goal is just to make a sale and then move on and make another sale. And what John should be gold on is helping the customer through the first 30, 60, 90 days, transitioning them slowly, making sure that that transition is smooth, and frankly, making sure that the, the customer feels good about their purchase. Because anytime we purchase something big, either as a consumer or as a business person, the first thought immediately is buyer's remorse. You know, the first thought is, uh-oh, I just, I just asked my boss for this big budget. I hope I'm right, because if I'm not, I'm getting fired. And so what, what I need right at that moment as a buyer is I need comfort and I need um, somebody to say, Dan, you just made a great choice. We're going to take great care of you. This is going to be you know, an, an awesome ride and we're going to provide awesome results. And, and that's where B2Bs tend to fall down. So in short, the answer to your question is, is that the, the challenge really is not looking macro and mm -hmm. only focusing on the micro. And micro can be important because, for example, identifying parts of the journey that are creating pain points for customers and fixing them is a yep. really important CX strategy, and that's the micro strategy. But if you're not doing the macro and you can't follow the customer journey, then you're missing out. One last thing I'll say on that is that one of the ways I believe is the best way to um, figure out that macro journey is to become a customer of your own company. And you can do that in a variety of ways. And certainly depending on what sort of business you're in, it's a lot easier to be a customer of your business if you're a restaurant or a retailer than it is if you're a SaaS company. But it doesn't mean that you still can't go through the motions of becoming a customer, you know, of having your company send you the contract that they send customers and you reading it not as, a, as an employee, but as a customer. Does this contract make sense to me? Am I, does this make me nervous to sign or does it make me, because obviously all contracts are written for the benefit of the business, yep. right? And so, but you have to be able to turn around and look at it as from the customer. Now, how do I feel when I read this? Okay. Um, and so anytime you can become a customer of your own company, call your own customer service department, go to your own website, download your own mobile app, use the product and use it not from the perspective of being a, an employee, but of really trying to set that aside and using it from the perspective as if you were on Amazon or if you were, uh, you know, watching Netflix or something that is, you know, the consumer side of you and how you uh, evaluate the businesses that you spend money with. Wow, amazing. That Like, um, I can only say that I'm learning loads here as well. <laughs> this is a lot of great insights. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. It's a lesson that this is like a lesson for me as well. Uh, so yeah, like uh, the next set of questions or like the next question I'd like to ask was, would be about tools in general. Um, how do you look about, uh, in terms of the problems that you observe in the CX space daily uh, with clients of yours, with colleagues of yours, what do you feel uh, is lacking in the world that would be, that would smooth out uh, processes and stuff? How do you look at the tech stack of CX? Do you think there is a tech stack specific that every company should follow? Or is it more to do with the type of problem that they're encountering with the customer? 
uh, etc. Or is it like a churn and then you have a, a tool for churn? Is it like a tool for satisfaction? How do you think about tools in general? So I think it starts with data. And, mm. and I think one of the challenges is that we have so much data right now, we don't know what to do with it. Mm. And generally what we end up doing with it is throwing it into reports that may be interesting, but not actionable. And so the first thing that I always recommend is that you figure out what kind of data are you getting today and, and what do you need? And, and how would you need that data to be displayed in order to make it actionable? So let me give you an example. Uh, when I worked for a credit card company in the US, uh, I got this daily report that had feedback from our customers on the website. So anyone that was on the website could click a little button and leave us feedback about whatever page they were on. And, and, uh, and we got hundreds of these every day that were either asking questions or they were having problems or they couldn't find something or whatever it was. And I got this report every day. Now, the problem with a daily report that's got hundreds of pieces of feedback is number one, most days not everybody's having the same problem. So you're reading a bunch of this stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, you're just overwhelmed. There's so many different things going on. The second is it's very hard to find trends because you might have seen this comment a week ago, you can't really remember, um, but you know, here it is, it's, and I'm only seeing it once today. Is it, does that mean it's not important? It's just hard to sort of put it all together. And so I decided that I needed the, the data in a different way. And so one of the things that we did was in the little place where the customer could ask, could leave a comment, we asked them one question ahead of the comment. And we just said, how easy was it to do business with us today? And they mm -hmm. could rank it on, I think, a 10 point scale. I waited about 60 days till we got enough data. And then I said, now I want to see this report, but I want to see the report by page by the ease of use ranking score. Mm -hmm. So in other words, tell me which pages have, are the easiest and which pages are the most difficult to use. So I took a look at the, the page that ranked dead last, the most difficult to use. And I said, all right, now I wanna see the customer comments on just this page. As soon as I looked at that page, as soon as I looked at all of those comments, which of course had come in over weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, it became very obvious that there was an error on that page. There was a button that wasn't showing up for a certain browser. Yeah. That was an easy fix, couple lines of code, and next day it's fixed. And all of a sudden that page that was dead last in terms of ease of use went right back up you know, to a normal high score. And so then I said to the team, let's do this for the next 100 pages. And we did. We went through 100 pages that were ranked as hard to use by our customers. And on each one of them, we looked at the comments in, instead of in this random mess, we looked at it as sorted by the page. Yep. And we were able to go to each page and say, okay, this is what we need to change on each page. Yep. Not only did our customer satisfaction scores go through the roof, but that was the first year that we won the coveted JD Power Award for customer satisfaction in the credit card industry. And that had a big effect. Uh, I mean, that, that award uh, ranked uh, website experience very highly. So what we did had a big effect on that award. And so the reason that was successful is we took a report that we were getting every day that probably had been, somebody had been printing out for years. And we said, how do we make this so that it's actually actionable? Because yeah. what's happened is a lot of people 
in, in big corporate America, especially, or in big companies, people want to be invited to meetings because they want to feel important and they want to get, they want to be on the report distribution because they want to feel informed. And so we send out this report to a thousand people. We don't even know how many of them read it or how many of them just throw it in the recycling bin. We have no, and, and we don't know if anybody's action, taking any action on it. And so taking, to making your data actionable is one of the most important things to getting this CX mentality off the ground because it's going to show you a lot of um, opportunities, not just to fix things that are wrong, but also it's going to show you opportunities to make, uh, to improve on your products and services, maybe to create new products and services based on what people are, are asking for. Um, yeah. And so that's one of the biggest it's not exactly a tool. I mean, you can use whatever tool you want for your for how you sort data. And I don't particularly take, um, I, I don't necessarily have favorite tools one way or another, um, mm -hmm. but I think that's one of the key elements to, um, to being able to focus on a CX program. Fascinating. Yeah, I like this angle that you took, like, okay, what do we need to solve for? And then just focus on that and try to find like a tool that solves that problem which there, in every instance, it's going to be a different one, right? Like different, uh, different situations call for different tools. Um, no, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, now, just uh, changing a bit the direction of uh, the conversation, like from tools, uh, it's interesting to know uh, more about you. And uh, let's start more like uh, through your learning process and how you always improve yourself and what type of resources do you consume? What type of content do you consume? To always keep on top of the trends that are happening in the space, to develop yourself outside of CX as well. So like books, podcasts, blogs, uh, people that you follow that we, you think that our audience and uh, all of us should be, should be checking out. Well, first of all, I've always thought it was important to be a content creator and a content curator. And I, I make a mix of both. And in the content that I create, I intentionally try to surround myself with other smart people so that I can learn from them. So for example, I do a, um, a live show on LinkedIn and Periscope every week on Thursdays. And I interview a CX person who has become the experience maker at their, at their company. And what's awesome is, yes, I'm creating content, but I'm also learning from somebody who is really smart and doing this every day as well. And so, um, so I love, I, I love doing that. And that's why I'm very particular about the type of content that I put out. I, I have a podcast called experience this, where we tell uh, CX stories and they're not just stories that have happened to me and my co-host. They're stories that, um, that we've seen on the internet. They're stories that our friends and family have told us about. They're, stories from across industries so that you can you can learn from somebody that's not necessarily in your industry yeah. uh, and so i love doing that show because i love the examples that we share and i learn from them and so i when i know i'm passionate about it i feel like others will be as well um, but then i'm also curating in the sense of following people like you say who i think are other thought leaders um, i'd highly recommend shep hyken who's a friend of mine and a, a, a mentor um, Shep's been in the customer service business for like 35 years. Uh, he's got the same hairdo as I do. And uh, um, he is, uh, he's just brilliant. 
Um, I'm also uh, uh, good friends with Jay Bear, who wrote the, the forward to my book. He's um, both a marketer and a customer experience guy. Um, there's uh, a number of uh, fantastic women in the field. Um, Annette Franz, Jeannie Walters, Jean Bliss, Stacey Sherman. Um, these are all great follows. Uh, Nate Brown is a guy that uh, is hilarious. Nate is, uh, you know Nate? Yeah. You were, okay, yeah, Nate is, uh, he's just a funny guy and, uh, and really a great leader. He, he has a, uh, an organization called CX Accelerator that's a, a Slack channel for people in the CX field, uh, which is a terrific resource. Um, so those are some of the folks that I spend uh, time watching and learning from. There's a lot more. Um, I, uh, if you, if you look at my Twitter feed, you know, you'll see that I'm probably, I mean, I definitely share a lot of my stuff, but I share a ton of stuff from those people and from others because, uh, I you think that they're just so putting many, out great content. Way, through, through your Twitter, you introduced so many good people through us to, to us. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. That's like when you know the Twitter feed is good is when it leads to other great people. So yeah, yeah. So, and I love doing that. In fact, I always tell people like, you know, I spend a lot of time looking for good content to share, but it's really right. hard to, you know, to sort <laughs> through. And so um, when I meet somebody uh, who I know is really great at this, um, I'll tell them, you know, just ping me and remind me and I'm happy to share your stuff because um, I know my audience will like it. Mary Drummond is another one. She's the uh, CMO of a company called Worthix that does, uh, it has a different take on customer satisfaction and how you measure it. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so I, these are all great people. I think one of the nice things is about the CX industry, if you will, um, it's full of really nice people. It's full of people that, uh, by definition, want to be helpful because that's what we do for our customers. And so we're, we're I think, um, a very welcoming kind of open society for people that are learning about CX or want to get better at it. Uh, so I, I highly encourage people that, you know, um, if there's somebody that you, um, uh, that you like or look up to in the, in the field, reach out to them because they're all going to be responsive. Uh, it's not like, you know, some of the other, uh, influencers in different areas that you know the people that have uh, six million followers and then they follow three people right cx people are more going to be like you know come on in let's all just we'll all you know we'll all do this together so it's one of the things i like about it amazing no, yeah it's a it's a sharing of knowledge that is incredible like absolutely and cx accelerator as you mentioned we're huge fans of the slack group and if you, like you can stay hours there, just like soaking up on on everything that's shared on there, like it leads to so many great sources and places and people. Um, yeah, and trying to create these communities have so much value that people don't don't appreciate, like how much it actually scales. It's crazy. So, absolutely, you no, know, we resonate that with that in Chattermill. We try to do it internally and uh, with people as we meet, uh, like you. Uh, so I, that's the only way to win, right? It's like. Uh, otherwise absolutely yeah yeah okay awesome no thank you so much for sharing all those sources and stuff um i think uh, our audience would love to to check them out uh, as i recommend as well um and by the way all those people that i mentioned have books all of yep. them have podcasts <laughs> so even though i didn't necessarily name their books and podcasts like the if you follow the people you're going to get to that other great content as well absolutely absolutely got yeah so much to consume there yeah, absolutely 
there's, uh, yeah, they cover literally every angle that you need to know about uh, customer centricity and CX and everything. You have like everything in those, uh, uh, in those sources. So absolutely. Um, so yeah, that, I think that covers the learning, the learning angle that we wanted to discuss. Uh, now it'd be more like just more personal towards you. And like I, like I said to you previously, like a mission that we have at Chattermill is to encourage the young generation to get into CX and to get into UX. And, and, and uh, if, if they are entrepreneurs and everything, just focus on the customer, start with the customer. Uh, and we really believe in that. And we hope to, to impart these lessons that we are learning along the way. And in that, uh, in that lens, like, I'd love to hear more about how you go to where you are and uh, how has your career evolved? How has it changed? How your mindset has changed about CX? And just like uh, as if you are approaching and talking to uh, to young young kids who who are confused about the space or who don't know about the space or are intrigued. Well, i I got into uh, I got into CX almost inadvertently. I was a marketer for uh, twenty years, and I was at uh, this credit card company that I mentioned, uh, Discover. And I was recruited internally by the chief digital officer to a role that was basically heading up digital customer experience. And I had lunch with him and I said, this sounds like a really interesting role, but why do you want me for this role? I, I, at the time, I hadn't done a lot in digital. I had, I had done mostly um, offline marketing channels. I certainly had not done anything in social media. And I didn't really know what this whole customer experience thing was about. And he said something to me that um, that really changed the whole path of my career, which was he said, I, I've watched you in meetings and you always have the customer hat on when you're mm -hmm. talking. And we need to do that in the digital space. We need to be thinking like our customers. And that's why I think you're going to be really good at this job. And I kind of paused for a minute and it was a nice compliment. Um, but what was weird is I had never thought about that about myself. And he was absolutely right. That is how I think. And, and I started going back and thinking about the early days of my career. And actually in the introduction to my first book, I write about a, an experience right out of college uh, where, I, where I helped a customer and wasn't sure whether I was doing the right thing or even breaking any rules at the company. I didn't really know. I just was doing what felt right, which was helping the customer. I wasn't in the customer service area. Uh, it was a phone call that somehow had gotten past customer service and uh, into my desk for I had I don't know what reason. I didn't even have access to her account because I wasn't a service agent. Um, but I just did what I thought made sense and I solved her problem. And um, and so I do think that that is you you do have to have a passion for wanting to help customers and wanting to. Um, to, to, you know, make their experience great. Um, I think the other thing is, uh, it's really taught me to be very observant. And mm -hmm. so when I'm a customer, I am paying way more attention than most customers are. And when you pay attention, you notice a lot of things. So um, in my keynotes, for example, I love to share signage because I think it's fascinating what kinds of signs restaurants and retailers and other uh, companies put up in their establishments and what that communicates to customers. Does it communicate that you're, you got a lot of rules and regulations? Does it communicate that you're really fun and, and that the experience is going to be enjoyable? 
what does it communicate? And it's amazing when you look at some of these things. Sometimes I'll hit a sign up. I can't believe you have this up in your business. Like, what are you thinking? And then I'll, and then other times I'll hit a sign and it'll be like, wow, you just took a sign that, that everybody has, you know, please no smoking or whatever it is. And you made it into something fun and memorable and like Instagram worthy. And how awesome is that? And so, um, I observed that stuff. I, I, back in the pre-COVID time, I met a friend for, uh, for lunch and we went into a restaurant and we were sitting in a booth and we were talking about this idea of being observant. And I was looking right at him and the wall is over to the uh, to this side. And I said, I'll give you an example. When we sat down at this booth, did you notice that the wall was dirty? Yeah. And he's like, turns his head, he goes, I did not notice that. I said, that was the first thing I noticed because I'm paying attention to it. Like I'm just, that's what I'm looking at. And so I think that's, if you can do that in your personal life, if you can do, we're all consumers, right? And that's why I think the thing about CX is a lot of it is intuition because we're all consumers. And one of the things we have to remember is that our customers, no matter what business they're in, whether they're B2C customers or B2B customers, it doesn't matter. In their real lives, in their other lives, they are consumers. They use Amazon, they use Netflix, they use Uber. So they know what good experience looks like. And yeah. that is ultimately what we're all being compared against. It doesn't matter what industry we're in. Okay. You don't, if you're a, you know, if, if you're a bookstore, you may be getting compared to the restaurant experience I had last night because I had a server that was so helpful to me and that gave me recommendations on, on menu items. And when I go to the bookstore the next day, I expect the person behind the counter to give me recommendations on books. Yep. Right. And so you have to be you have to be aware of the fact that you're that you're competing against every other experience that a, that a person has had in their consumer lives and their business lives. And yep. that's what makes it um, both difficult, but also sort of an opportunity to dive into because we all have those experiences as well. We all go out, used to go out to restaurants and go to stores and, you know, buy things online. And so we know what a good uh, experience looks like. Now take that experience and do what I said before, which is become a customer of your own company and ask yourselves, are we delivering an experience like these other companies? Is it easy to do business with us? Is it fun to do business with us? Does it make me feel good to do business with us? Because mm -hmm. it makes me feel good to buy something from Amazon because I know it's going to be at my doorstep in two days, yeah. right? So um, that's the advice I would give is, is uh, you know, it's not so much, I don't know that any colleges right now have a customer experience major or anything that you can, you know, really focus on. Um, but you are a consumer in real life. And, and that's one of the best things that you can do to, to learn. A hundred percent. No. Well, and I really like the, the, the approach. So you see it as a skill that anyone can build. If you like most people see, but they don't observe. So if you learn how to bridge that gap and actually observe and pay attention and, and have the set of questions and train yourself to ask the right questions, you think that most people can become a good, uh, customer experience professional. Very Absolutely. It's like, a, it's like going to the gym and working on your muscles, right? You just, you have to work on it and you have to keep practicing it. And, um, and yes, I think that it, you know, even if you don't want to be a CX professional, it will make you more aware as you're making other business decisions about keeping, you asked the first question was about customer centricity. Um, and I mentioned that, 
you know, somebody observed of me that I always had the customer hat on. And I think it's really important that every company has at least one employee, hopefully many employees who are wearing that customer hat and who are, who are willing to stand up and say, hold on a second, before we add this new fee, because the accounting department says, or the finance department says it's going to make us an extra million dollars this year. Can we think about what people are going to, how are they going to perceive this fee? Right. Yeah. And are they going to be angry at us? And are some people going to leave us and go to our competitor that doesn't charge this fee? And so, yeah, we might make a million dollars, but we might lose a million dollars over here. Exactly. And because, the, again, the finance person's only thinking about how we're going to make a million dollars. That's how all of these stupid fees in the airlines got started is yeah. like, hey, let's think of a way where we can make it, except it's not a million dollars. It's a billion dollars. Yeah. And uh, and oh, well, if we just charge an extra this why if we charge people for luggage or if we charge people to reprint their ticket or whatever we'll make all this money yeah. but they don't pay attention to the fact that it really annoys people and it and it affects their perception of the the brand 100 it's a long-term approach right if you don't think long term you're you're bound to fall into these mistakes absolutely on top of the skill of observation and uh learning to ask the right questions what are their skills uh, do you think are most valuable for CX uh, professionals or for people that want to have the CX hat on all the time? What are the, you'd say like the three top skills that people should uh, work on developing? I think one of the things that I've benefited from in my career is I've had a lot of different roles that have sort of stretched my mind in different directions. So I've worked in roles that are uh, US-based and I've worked in roles that are international. So that got me a sense for different cultures and how different parts of the world may respond differently to the same kind of experience. I've worked in B2C companies and I've worked in B2B companies, both of which you know behave very differently. Uh, I've worked in different industries. So the healthcare industry and financial services are very highly regulated and, um, and are complex. But I also worked in the fast food industry, which is pretty easy to understand. And people love the brands and, you know, in a way that they don't love their credit card or their insurance company. So I, I think the diversity of your experience will help you become a better CX person. It's not that you can't become a CX person right out of college. But again, given that there's no educational training for it, like there is for something like marketing, um, I, I think it's a tough thing to just step into right as your first job. Yeah. Um, but getting a variety of experiences um, will help you just have a keener eye for the different opportunities around a customer journey. There are obviously some, uh, you know, professional um, certifications and things that you can go and get, which I think is, uh, is important, especially if you're a person that learns through classwork and testing and that sort of thing, you know, so if you want to get the CXCP certification or something like that, I think that is um, also a, a really good idea. Um, but uh, the, the real, the, the, the trick about being a good CX person is you have to know at least a little bit about almost everything. Because the customer journey is long and it involves a lot of things. And so think about, again, from the credit card example, there's one team that's in charge of acquisition and the acquisition is about the marketing pieces and the decisioning on whether to offer you credit and the risk factors and the selection of the card plastic and the welcome kit and all. And, and that's just a new customer. 
right? Yeah. Oh, and then there's a, there's all this uh, legal card member agreements and all this stuff that you have to sign. And this is just literally the first day, day zero and one of being a customer, but there's so many things. So I worked in the acquisition department for a while, which helped me understand that process and helped me understand what can we do and what can't we do? What are our limitations? Are there limitations that can be changed or are they you know, legally based, that sort of thing? Um, and so you have to know a little bit about a lot of things, as I like to say, enough to be dangerous. Um, because you got to be able to dig into some of these things and figure out where the experience is, is breaking or where can you create an unexpected positive experience. Um, the other thing I would say as a skill is um, being able to listen to and analyze uh, voice of the customer data. And um, number one, knowing where to look. And number two, again, as we talked about before, making it actionable. Um, yeah. Customers tell us all sorts of things, whether we are asking them to fill out surveys or participate in focus groups or whether we're listening proactively in social media to what they're saying about us, our competitors, our industry, our products. Um, we, the more we listen to that, the more ideas that we can get. And there's some great examples of companies that have done that. I wrote about them in my first book um, that just by listening in social media came up with new product ideas because they didn't realize that there were use cases that customers came up with that they hadn't thought that their R&D people hadn't thought of. But mm -hmm. because they were listening to people in social media, they got those ideas. Yeah. Um, there have been times in my career where we learned that the website was down from Twitter because Twitter figured it out before the IT department did. You know, so listening becomes, I think, an absolute key skill, uh, and it's it's connected to that observation. But we got to observe with our eyes and our ears. Absolutely. Oh, fascinating! Yeah, and uh, I agree with the understanding data. Right, you don't need to be an expert in data, but being able to interpret and um, and know what to look for—that's the primary skill in terms of the quant yeah. side. I would say. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, so the last question would be, uh, well, because of the situation we live in today, I think it would be uh, the service not to talk about it. Uh, how do you see COVID changing um, the CX space itself? And how do, you think, uh, how do you think CX will have to adapt or change in the face of COVID, right? How does the CX professional adjust and adapt to this new reality, right? The new... Uh, online experiences that was once just on offline and uh, all the many changes that we're seeing from working from home to the, the supreme digitalization of services and everything. Yeah. Well, I think that COVID has made customer experience even more important than it was before. It has become absolutely critical. And what we're seeing is a lot of customers uh, started off very patient and empathetic and now after being in this for four months, are starting to lose their patience, are starting to you know, feel like, hey, if you haven't figured this out yet, this new reality yet, I'm gonna go to somebody who has. So yeah. I think customer experience has been, is even more important. Um, the two facets that to me are, are most critical, uh, you mentioned one, one is the employee experience. So this whole work from home culture, which I think is good and, and generally positive for companies, um, mm. There's so many advantages. You can hire people from anywhere in the world. You can you can literally find the best person for the job, not the only person, you know, not the person that lives down the street and can commute to the office. 
You can save a lot of money on physical spaces. Um, you can, you know, I've, I've talked to people managers who have said they're spending more time with their team now than they ever did when they were working in the same building. So I think that the, the employee experience is key because when employees are happy and comfortable, then they can make their customers happy. We cannot expect, we cannot expect a great customer experience if we don't have a great employee experience because employees have to understand what a great experience feels like. The other thing that I think is going to be at least for the next year, one of the key words associated with customer experience is safety. And no matter what business you're in, if customers do not feel safe doing business with you, they will not do business with you. And so that includes a whole bunch of things from cleaning procedures to your policy on masks to social distancing to payment methods and being able to be touchless and all these things, curbside pickup and all this. And I think this is going to continue for a long time. Um, I'm doing some work in the medical and dental industry right now. And, you know, this idea people are afraid to go back to the dentist or to the doctor's office because they don't know if it's safe. And so not only do we have to make it safe, we have to learn how to communicate that it's safe in a persuasive way that makes people feel calm and willing to come back and do business with us. So I believe that's the top priority right now uh, because if you don't have a sense of safety, if people don't feel secure in doing business with you, it's like if they believe that you're gonna lose their credit card number or you're gonna, you're, they're gonna share your private information, they're not gonna do business with you. Now it's just become a little bit more about physical safety. And uh, again, uh, we didn't talk a lot about the word empathy, which is, a, which is a cornerstone of customer experience as well. But what I've been telling people is if you can't be empathetic now, when everyone in the world is going through the same thing, so you should know exactly how your customers feel because you're going through it too. If you can't be empathetic now, I don't have a whole lot of hope that you're ever going to learn empathy, right? And so let's all take a minute, step back, and understand and appreciate that our customers are going through a tough time right now. They may have lost their job. They may be stuck in their house. They may be tired of their family members. They may have gotten sick. They may be worried about other people getting sick. They're fearing for getting sick. All of the things that we're feeling, our customers are feeling too. Now, what would we like somebody to do for us? And that then becomes the beginning of what we should be doing for our customers. And so um, I've seen some companies that have really focused on what their brand is good at and how they can, in their own niche, help customers during a difficult time. So for example, the brokerage firm that I do business with, Charles Schwab, sent out an email. And instead of saying, we're cleaning our offices and you know, here's some links to some helpful websites like everybody else did, they said, we understand that you must be worried about a volatile stock market. And here's some tools and resources that we have to help you through this difficult time. And if you need to talk to somebody, we're offering a, a free service where you can talk to an advisor, again, to help you through a volatile time. That's exactly what you want from your brokerage firm, right? And it's, it's relevant. It's brand right. It shows that they care and that they understand me. When they said, you know, you must be worried about a volatile market. You're darn right I'm worried about a volatile market. Like, how did you know? And that's where you know you're hitting the bullseye. Um, and whereas, go back and look at, especially when this started, and all the emails that you got from companies that literally said exactly the same thing. 
they all said the same thing. Your safety is our utmost priority. We have enhanced our cleaning procedures. Here's a link to XYZ website for more information. It's like somebody told them that they had to send an email and so they did it, they checked the box and they moved on. But Schwab and some other companies have done things totally differently. The airlines in the US, almost, almost all of them sent the exact same email, except for Delta, where Delta shot a video and showed you how they were cleaning their planes. And they used this fogger machine that I had never seen before. I thought it was really cool. But that made me feel a whole lot more confident that they know what they're talking about, right? Um, and so, and it was funny because I was on a different airline um, right when this hit, before everything shut down. And they had already sent out the email saying that they were in, you know, enhancing their cleaning procedures. And here I was on a flight and the flight was delayed because the other plane hadn't come in. And I watched them disembark all the passengers and immediately start loading the plane. And I'm like, well, what happened to your enhanced cleaning procedures? So we only do that if the plane's not late. You know, so it was, to me, it was a, not a good feeling because it, it made me feel like, okay, you said one thing and you're doing another. Um, so it's safety, creating a safe work environment, creating a safe environment for your customers and communicating that in a way that is convincing and that, that elicits calm instead of fear are going to be the key things, I think, for at least the next six to 12 months as people, as business starts reopening and, and takes a while to get fully back open. Amazing. Wow. I can't even say, like, even with the insights and everything, uh, the specific case studies, I think uh, uh, it's invaluable. It's invaluable even for us, like here at Chattermill. So I really appreciate it. That was, that, that, that's it uh, in terms of the questions. If there's anything else that you want to share specifically about you, somewhere you, that you think uh, where our audience can find uh, your most interesting content. Um, sure, I'll, I'll send you an email uh, and I'll use it or not, but I'll send you a headshot and bio and links and stuff and use whatever you feel like using. Fantastic, fantastic. Well done. All right, cool. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Nice to talk to you as well. Thank you so much for the time. For No, and for the... I, I like how you said that you like to share your content uh, and share other people's content and everything. And I can see how, how you bring that yourself to your own life and how you do that with us. So yeah. I really appreciate it. That's very kind of you. And like, I can only say this was like a masterclass in, in CX for me <laughs> uh, personally. So uh, I'm very lucky to have been the one interviewing you here. <laughs> I feel very, very awesome. Fortunate. Well, I, I feel privileged to know you as well. And, uh, and let's definitely stay in touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so Take much. Care. You too. Cheers. Have a good weekend. Bye.